Welcome to another episode of Take This Job and Love It, podcast seeking answers to the world's most potent questions regarding career exploration and professional development. My name is Brian Fournette, and I serve as Senior Associate Director in the Office of Career Strategy, and I am joined today by my trusted and knowledgeable colleagues. Oh, trusted and knowledgeable. Mm. Thanks, Brian. Well, it's a lot to stand up for. <laughs> I'm Stephanie Wade. I'm with the Common Good and Creative Careers team at Yale's Office of Career Strategy. I'm Julia Burke. I'm a senior associate director in the Office of Career Strategy. And I'm Meredith Mura, and I am also a senior associate director um, advising students uh, in the STEM Connect team and primarily undergrads. And because we didn't think you got enough information last time, we're back talking about resumes uh, why? Because we are masochists. No, because we <laughs> realize that this is such a an important element of the job search, really uh, sort of the, the focal point, uh, depending on how you look at it, it's either the, the starting point or the culmination of much of uh, uh, the, the, the pondering and reflection that we talk about, but it's also where uh, the more practical aspect of this process begins. Um, and ultimately, as we touched on in prior episodes, the the most important aspect of the resume is for the uh, the nature of storytelling. We have to tell the story of us as a professional, our professional past, our history, and the skills that we've developed along the way. And if we are unable to properly uh, discuss or dictate the ways by which those skills have developed over a course of time, we are really asking people to just trust us. And frankly. Uh, for better or worse, they have no reason to trust us. So we have to do a good job of, of crafting that narrative uh, effectively and thoroughly. So I thought today we could talk a little bit more about the elasticity of that narrative, mm-hmm. right? So we go through all this effort to put something together. We feel that it's, it's, it's in stone. There it is in all of its glory in that one or two pages. And now I got to change the thing? Like, why? Why, what's the, why, do we, why are you doing this to me, man? So I thought we could talk a little bit about, like, where does this scenario present itself and how can we uh, help those listening feel better about the process by which they, they go and change this thing up? Yeah, and I'll, and I'll add to that that, you know, it's not a comprehensive narrative of all of the things that you've done in your professional experiences and your professional life. Um, it's very selective, and it should be. It's... Um, you know, everyone talks about tailoring their resumes um, for specific positions. And yeah, I mean, I think that there's a certain level of modification and tailoring um, that needs to happen every time you're applying to a position. The overarching story about who you are and what you're all about will likely be a little bit more on the consistent side, but it's being selective about which elements you want to populate at the top of that resume or which elements of the positions you want to showcase in your accomplishment statements. So I think it's that that selection process becomes where, you know, where you have to roll up your sleeves and and start doing the real work. I can't use the same resume for everything. (laughs) We're sorry, Meredith. I mean, you can. (laughs) You can do anything you like. Depends on the results that you want, Meredith. (laughs) So I think we get a lot of this sort of question. Certainly, I think when students come in, um, they are a little bit more prepared to perhaps change around the cover letter 
um, but probably less prepared to change around the resume. Which is ironic because usually them changing the cover letter is because they understand there are different qualifications, <laughs> right? I mean, it's usually which aspect of yeah. yourself you want to showcase, hence why they change the letter. But then they're like, yeah, this resume is just, again, I think they, they perceive it to be a complete comprehensive comprehensive yeah. look at the self. Yeah. So therefore, it's like, you'll just know what to, to take. Right. And, and that's not their responsibility. Right. Right. It's our responsibility, for better or worse, again, our responsibility to, to determine which aspect of self to show today for this conversation. Right. So I think that there's, um, I think oftentimes people think of a resume as a pretty um, banal document that yeah. um, I, you know, when they're sort of hearing Brian say narrative, they're probably like, what are you talking mm. about? How do I actually tell a narrative using my resume? Um, I think there are many ways in, and, and I think we'll touch on on some of those. When Stephanie mentioned uh, putting something else at the top of your resume, um, I think the first question I might get from people is like, what do you mean? I can move different things to different locations? Ooh, that reverse chronological order is law. <laughs> it is. <laughs> and most of the time, we still stick with that. And let's say you're in, you're an undergraduate student, you're in grad school. Um, if you're a postdoc, you're probably going to be keeping education at the top. Yeah. However, you can have different sections um, underneath that, that it, sometimes people um, will use just the sort of more generic terms that I see quite often of work experience and leadership experience or work experience and other experience. Yep. But you can change up those headings. Mm -hmm. Ooh, tell us more, Meredith. So uh, <laughs> if you want, as Stephanie was mentioning, let's say you're using reverse chronological order for everything. But you really have an experience that, I don't know, you're applying for policy jobs and you did something in policy over a summer or in a previous job, and then you did something else since then. So the policy thing is not going to come up to the top. You can modify one of those headings and s instead of saying sort of generically work experience, you might say experience in policy and something else or just experience in policy. And what do you know? Mm -hmm. You can move that policy internship experience or job up to the top of that section. Yep, absolutely. You could even bring more of the relevant experiences. This is another fairly generic kind of header, but you could say relevant experience so that some of those positions that are more relevant to whatever you're applying to next, such as let's say the example policy, those come up into that experience and then <coughs> you could have an additional. So that's really where this movement can come in. You can actually move around those experiences so that uh, to your point, Stephanie, what you see first is at the top. And even once you're education experience unto itself, like, you know, once those degrees become 10 years old or so, it's those also will move, mm -hmm. um, you know, further down the page because you want to try to reflect and put a spotlight on the more recent aspects of your professional self. Mm -hmm. But right. you're right. I don't, I don't think anyone sitting in this room puts education at the top anymore? Mm, nope. no. Huh? no. 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 No, sadly, no. no. <laughs> no Calling us out. I do. <laughs> I do. Do you, Meredith? <laughs> I do. Oh. Yeah. Well, your, your, your graduate work is very much relevant yeah, to the work that true. you're doing here. That's right. Yeah. So I think, right, I, I did a doctoral degree in education. It mm -hmm. is pretty related to the kinds of work I'm doing in higher education. So I keep it at the top. Right. That For makes some sense. some of us who have yeah. a, a master's degree in international affairs, 
But working in higher education, I populate that at the bottom. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that there's um, seeing the level of flexibility in how we present and showcase. But, you know, that level of flexibility, it's, you know, the onus of responsibility is on the applicant so so that the reviewer, the employer, is not digging around for the information right. or um, needing to jump to a lot of conclusions about the relevance of you in this position. Right? Conclusions it, won't be jumped to. You know, right. like they, they're not they going to assume. They, they're not going to. They'll just ass- move on right. to the next yeah. person. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's where like the the number of responsibilities includes not only looking at what the position seeks, but who is the employer and what does that employer seek? Um, if you are looking to work, you know, if you, if you, you want to think who is the population that that organization is either working on behalf of or serving or however, whatever the appropriate term may be for that given organization, you maybe want to show some interest or enthusiasm in working with that population. Otherwise, the you may have the skills necessary, but if you don't exhibit any of the background, it can become very um, confusing. Right. And I think, again, uh, from my vantage point in working with PhD students and postdocs, a lot of them, not all of them, but many of them are trying to find ways to get away from the bench. And so if they have a STEM background, a research-heavy background, and they don't want to be doing research anymore, if I'm learning about the nuances of their seven years in the lab, <laughs> it's going to be a tad confusing. So I might say, well, why do you want to work with, you know, people in whatever capacity? Because my my, you know, gross generalization of what it means to work in a lab is solo and isolatory mm-hmm. and by yourself. Right. Why would you? I just don't see why like, you want this. Show me that you actually are right. aligning yourself with this next experience. Right. And if we chip away at what that experience actually was, it turns out there's a lot more collaboration than maybe there was actual collaboration in the lab itself and we just weren't identifying that. But you're also working with different members of your department or, oh, I was also working with my PI. There's all of a sudden these ways by which we can convey that collaboration that you know that individual is going to want to see on the page. Mm-hmm. And so we want to try to, again, understand – embrace our own flexibility of the experiences we have, but then have to try to put ourselves in the position of the reader. Right, yep. Which, again, is, is not a fun way to spend an afternoon, yeah. <laughs> but it is a very effective way mm-hmm. to see, again, this, this very essential document become more impactful per application. Sure, and by putting yourself in someone else's shoes and mm-hmm. reading it in kind of your example, Brian, I don't have a science background, and so if you're applying to something that is a switch – from you mentioned PhD students maybe wanting to move away from research. If you include so much of the heavy research in the resume, your reader <coughs> may not know exactly what's going on yeah. because they don't know the depths of that research. Yeah. If the conclusion is, oh, I think they applied to the wrong job. Right. Well, really <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're not doing yourself any favors. Right. So it has to be with the reader in mind. And And this doesn't happen overnight, right? I think as we... If we are looking for positions that are sort of tangential to what we may have done academically and if we're exiting that academic experience at current, it is up to us to not only investigate what the nuances of that given industry or um, job function might be, but I think it's also important to talk to people who are doing those things. And right, I mean, again, the, the four career people are going to talk about networking as being important, but this is one of those <laughs> reasons why, because you really need to know what the new vernacular is. And I don't expect anyone to just like through osmosis take on the new jargon. 
Right. Right. You sure need right. to to have a sense of well, if I'm going to go into uh, product management, I should probably go talk to someone about what nuanced skill set areas they would seek for that type of role, so that I better understand what to highlight or what to maybe push aside in my own background as it currently is displayed in this version of this document. Right. And in that conversation, you might um, hear some of the non-negotiable elements, right? Absolutely. Like we need somebody who has um, a deep knowledge and experience using this kind of software. Right. And you're like, well, yes, I have that. No problem. But it's all the way buried at the bottom of your resume. Mm-hmm. Perhaps you want to bring that out to the top and, and incorporate that into one of your accomplishment statements. Right. And some of this can can resonate not only in terms of how the resume itself is presented, but how then you would tell these stories in the context of an interview. Um, I was speaking to someone recently who was trying to apply, was looking to apply to a position at Yale, um, a a friend of a friend, and I was trying to explain, like, there are certain terminologies that you're going to want, you know, silos and collaboration and constituencies. These things come up (laughs) because that's the nature or how you've dealt with bureaucracy Mm -hmm. Right. um, is going to come up. And if you don't address those things, they are to presume that you've never dealt with that before or that you don't have sort of a methodological approach to how you engage with people you don't necessarily see every day. Mm -hmm. And those things are vastly important in our line of work. And those aren't exactly like complicated concepts, but they just may not be at the forefront of that person's mind when they're thinking about making a transition as this person was from one industry to the next. And so these things can only be revealed through our engagement with those who who've been there before us and who know sort of what they're, what one should be looking for. Yeah. And I think all organizations are going to face different challenges at different times and have different priorities at different times. And so it's that, um, it's, it's that building that knowledge base of, you know, what is actually going on in this space and how can I potentially be a solution to an ongoing problem? Mm -hmm. And how am I presenting myself as a solution to a problem? Mm -hmm. And I think that there are times where um, we may want to ask ourselves, should I just remove an example of an experience altogether? Sometimes the answer might be yes. Mm -hmm. But sort of to to Brian's earlier point, if you have been doing, you know, uh, research in a wet lab for seven years, for example, no, no, don't remove that. That's a really important part. That's where we're going to want to say, like, we need to reframe what your roles and responsibilities were there away from, you know, sort of a jargon uh, science-based approach of what you were doing a Western blot for. I don't even know if I used that terminology correctly. <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> it sounds yeah. good. Yeah. 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 You sold us. <laughs> um, and instead talk about collaboration or talk about things. So, um, but I think you can go either way. There are times where you may actually want to remove something. Right. And there are yeah. other times where you will want to modify the way that you're actually talking about that something. And to that point, you know, when you're talking about reframing the accomplishment statements under that, you can also think about changing the name of that heading. Instead of research Mm. experience, it could become, you know, just work experience, professional experience, whatever heading makes the most sense for what you've done and what you're applying for. So don't stop at the accomplishment statements. Really look at the resume as the whole. Well, in in the changing of those those headers, right, I find that there's some resistance from people that I work with because they are apprehensive of um, – they don't want the perception to be that they're they're faking it. 
I don't want to make something up. I don't want the false valor. Right, of and we are not that, suggesting that. No, of <laughs> but what I'm saying is that, ironically, it, that's rooted in they're not feeling confident about that given experience. If they don't mm. see it as having multiple facets, then there's a confidence dilemma, and that dilemma is going to dog you through the construction of the resume. It's going to continue on with the cover letter, or the interview, or, or the interview itself, right? Yeah. So if you don't see your research role of seven years as being also something where you could say that is analytical. Right. Well, we're going to have some problems, yeah. right? And yeah. so it, it, and that doesn't just happen at the snap of our fingers because we need it to happen because the applications due tomorrow. And we've talked a lot in other episodes about, um, you know, patience and timing and all of that. But I do think this underscores the need for this to be sort of a developmental process. Yeah. And that's where the conversations with those who um, – who've been in these roles can be helpful because we will see their resonance as we get to explain things more, right? In these, in these very low stakes conversations, I can, I can give Meredith a, a deeper understanding of what my background in over at job X was. And then she'll be able to help me maybe see elements of it where I wasn't seeing those things as effective or helpful or, or even, um, you know, powerful yep. in mm-hmm. my, in my story yeah. prior. Sometimes even a simple question, having, you know, in, in thinking about changing your resume, ha- when you're reviewing it with somebody, having the person say, well, tell me more about that. Right. Even yeah. just answering a simple question like that can really open up the different skills one's used and employed in that experience. Yeah. Just tell me more about that can really open it up. And hopefully the the job seeker can describe that and actually see in themselves this expanded set of skills. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or, you know, tell me about a challenging time Mm -hmm. in this experience. How did you navigate through that? Mm -hmm. And then allow that dialogue to take place where they talk about the process and the method that they undertook, the how, how they operated and navigated through that experience. That's, uh, you know, I I was telling you guys earlier, but I I have this written down on my notes here, bringing out the boring. And that's exactly (laughs) what this is. It's like when we try to think about our process or the methodological approach by which we do these seemingly obvious things, it actually reveals a bit of our own motivations. And we all have different motivations. And if I am hiring someone, I definitely want to know what that person's motivations or their methodology is because without that, it's it's a big gamble, as we've said before. And so to be confident in those seemingly drab things is essential. More importantly, you need to be able to tell a really good story about that seemingly boring thing. And Mm -hmm. that doesn't just happen overnight either. And I think those ways by which when someone says – Tell me more about that. To me, that's where like that's like the equivalent of like uh, all the party favors going off at once because that just means okay, we tapped into something good here. Right. We need to we need to continue to kind of wade around in this to mm-hmm. find what that is. That's a that's a that's a discovery. Yeah, they're right. telling you, tell me more about this because I that is interesting, right. and we might get somewhere that I need to get to with you mm-hmm. so that I can then say this is good alignment. Right. See, when I say that to people, sometimes they're like, are you not understanding what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. But that's what it means. That's what it is, is trying to unearth or uncover this nugget that we prop- that most people, the person that is being asked that question, probably just dismissed as right. obvious or mundane. But it's nothing – it couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah. Again, we can't assume that things are obvious. Yeah. No. no we'll yeah. assume. No, I mean, I, I, I joke that, yeah. you know – 
you can work here at Yale as a researcher in a lab mm -hmm. with faculty and other graduate students, and you can work with the administrators of your department, and I'm sure somewhere in the midst of all those brilliant minds, you know someone who just can't be there on time. And yeah. mm -hmm. that's seemingly mm -hmm. mundane, but if you're constantly working with a person that can never be there on time, that is aggravating and will inevitably create mm -hmm. disruption. Mm -hmm. So if I'm going to hire someone, wouldn't I want the person who's not only brilliant but can also be there on time? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But just if I see your education listed at the top of your resume, I don't have a sense if you're always going to be there on time. Right. So helping me br bring me into your methodological approach of how you conduct yourself in your engagement with others and your collaboration and your project management will help alleviate that concern. Mm -hmm. And one other thing that I am not familiar with all the ins and outs of this, but as Brian mentioned earlier, sort of like tapping into the vernacular of certain jobs. Mm. Um, sometimes for jobs where there may be a lot of applicants, um, these uh, organizations may be using, you know, bots to scan through resumes. Yeah. Um, I, I certainly think, and Stephanie can probably speak to this a little more around government positions, um, actually having certain work keywords and, and language on that resume um, there may actually be a, a non-human person scanning your resume for those keywords. Yeah, especially in those first round reviews. So just uh, another sort of plug for knowing the language and shifting your language in your descriptions because it might actually be the difference between not getting a response and getting past the, the first round. Yeah. Now, I th I've seen a lot of people that I think – Maybe, I think this is a good thing, but I've seen a lot of people overassume how often that happens. And I guess that just keeps people more attentive to what's going on. I'd rather have that neuroses <laughs> than maybe the not opposite. any concern at all. Right. But yeah, I think it's, it's, you know, why not take that into consideration? Why not account for that? One right. less thing to worry about in, right. the, in a, in a kind of wild and chaotic process. That's one thing you at least get to control. Yeah. And that level of specificity is going to matter. Mm -hmm. So one of the uh, things that's been coming out specifically out of the tech industries is some of the methods uh, that they encourage applicants to use to develop their accomplishment statements. And these are either the bulleted points beneath uh, your experiences or, you know, short paragraphs that you dedicate to explaining your roles and responsibilities and transferable skills. But, you know, one of the methods that um, some industries and organizations are pushing for is, is the XYZ method. And, you know, you can read more about this online. I think, you know, there's a, a couple of different um, articles that have been published recently about the XYZ method. And um, for purposes of uh, a, a, an audience that's listening to us as opposed to sitting with us in this room, um, you know, the XYZ method is really just making sure that you're being inclusive of what you did, how you did it, and what results came about because of your work. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we see, uh, we often see um, the, the what and maybe sometimes the results, but the how is what gets really lost. Yep. And to Brian's point earlier, that becomes such an essential element in this. So in, in, uh, in pairing with use of specific jargon and phrases that are um, evident in the job postings and job descriptions or what your contacts have shared with you, you also want to make sure that these statements that you are using, and you're using that that the real estate space of your resume wisely, that you are using a, f a full method of what, how, and what, if any results um, can be reported on that. And the how can be answered with, you can use really simple words. Just add the word 
um, using or by or in collaboration with, and that can bring you to the how pretty Absolutely. quickly. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I bring up four questions usually with people um, that if you look at your accomplishment statements on your resume and if you if relevant, if these questions are answered as they relate to the job, you're done. Congratulations. You get to move on, go home, go to sleep, whatever it is, right? And the first one is how. And to echo Julia's point, it's, it's usually I go with how, with whom, using mm-hmm. what, and to what extent. Mm-hmm. And to what extent you're looking at ultimately impact, and impact can be seen both quantitatively and qualitatively. But that's an, I mean, there are probably other questions if you want to throw them in, but I feel like if you aim for those four questions to be resolved Mm -hmm. as they relate to the job, everything that they could possibly throw at you is answered. And this, and and, and understandably, especially with how, because how's the one that everyone usually, they're like, they get the other three pretty easily. Um, But how is the one that that just eludes us a lot of the times. And the frustration is very understandable, but it's it's really, and I don't mean to, to, to trivialize it, it is a creative writing process. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's just, and maybe that's not your bag and that's fine. It's drafts. But it's the thing we got to work on. And it's the yeah. thing that, yeah, you get to draft over and over again. It's the thing that you can utilize if, if, you know, if you're here on campus, you can utilize this office for, you can ask colleagues or mm-hmm. friends or, or networking peers, anyone to look at this document and say, does this resonate with what you're seeking or what you know that folks in this organization, industry, et cetera, seek. And that will come with time. Right. And if you want some more specific uh, resources around this, you can make your way to ocs.yale.edu and go to our resumes page. Um, On the main landing page, which is then broken out uh, by undergraduates, grad students, and postdocs and alums, but on the main landing page, um, you will see a whole section on writing accomplishment statements, things you might even want to ask yourself before you even start writing these bullets or rewriting these bullets. Um, Because I think a lot of times people don't think of the things they've done in a way that they think they've accomplished something. They may just say, well, I don't know what happened after I did this, or I'm not sure. Um, But it doesn't necessarily have to be that something resulted in a presentation or a publication. It may be that you resulted in having a new skill or you saved someone time or you um, communicated across diverse constituents successfully or you streamlined something that now makes um, everyone get along better and things are more efficient. So there's a whole slew of questions on that page about what sort of could be included in a what did I accomplish. Um, But then there's also some of these um, outlines that Stephanie and Brian have mentioned about exactly what you're including in this bullet statement um, and some interesting ways of writing it. For example, something like I accomplished X as measured by Y by doing Z. That's one other way. So Mm -hmm. there are some of these things encapsulated on that page. Yeah. Excellent. I think this, um, yeah, ultimately helps force a, a, a formula by which you can at least begin to kind of conceptualize some of these aspects of yourself, your experiences, your skills, and then from there, develop and add to as necessary. I think ultimately what we talked about today is just a way that you can begin to um, see the blossoming of this experience, uh, these experiences that will become so essential throughout the entirety of, of the job search process. So with that, we will uh, wrap things up here. We'll remind you to, again, go through uh, the various resources that Meredith mentioned that are open to, to one and all via ocs.yale.edu. 
And uh, we thank you for taking a little time and listening to us. And we will uh, see you next time here on Take This Job and Love It. Thanks, everybody.